Chapters 1 through 10 of Against Celsus, Book 1 by Origen, translated by Frederick Crombie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by David Ronald. The first point which Celsus brings forward in his desire to throw discredit upon Christianity is that the Christians entered into secret associations with each other contrary to law, saying that, quote, of associations some are public and that these are in accordance with the laws others again secret and maintained in violation of the laws end quote. and his wish is to bring into disrepute what are termed the quote, love feasts end quote, of the christians as if they had their origin in the common danger and were more binding than any oaths since then he babbles about the public law alleging that the associations of the christians are in violation of it we have to reply that if a man were placed among scythians whose laws were unholy and having no opportunity of escape were compelled to live among them such an one would with good reason for the sake of the law of truth which the scythians would regard as wickedness enter into associations contrary to their laws with those like-minded with himself so if truth is to decide the laws of the heathens which relate to images and an atheistical polytheism are quote, scythian end quote, laws or more impious even than these if there be any such it is not irrational then to form associations in opposition to existing laws if done for the sake of truth for those persons would do well who should enter into a secret association in order to put to death a tyrant who had seized upon the liberties of a state so christians also when tyrannized over by him who is called the devil and by falsehood form leagues contrary to the laws of the devil against his power and for the safety of those others whom they may succeed in persuading to revolt from a government which is as it were scythian and despotic celsus next proceeds to say that the system of doctrine viz judaism upon which christianity depends was barbarous in its origin and with an appearance of fairness he does not reproach christianity because of its origin among barbarians but gives the latter credit for their ability in discovering such doctrines to this however he adds the statement that the greeks are more skilful than any others in judging establishing and reducing to practice the discoveries of barbarous nations now this is our answer to his allegations and our defence of the truths contained in christianity that if any one were to come from the study of grecian opinions and usages to the gospel he would not only decide that its doctrines were true but would by practice establish their truth and supply whatever seemed wanting from a grecian point of view to their demonstration and thus confirm the truth of christianity we have to say moreover that the gospel has a demonstration of its own more divine than any established by grecian dialects and this diviner method is called by the apostle the manifestation of the spirit and of power of the spirit on account of the prophecies which are sufficient to produce faith in any one who reads them especially in those things which relate to christ and of power because of the signs and wonders which we must believe to have been performed both on many other grounds and on this that traces of them are still preserved among those who regulate their lives by the precepts of the gospel after this 
Celsus proceeding to speak of the Christians teaching and practicing their favorite doctrines in secret, and saying that they do this to some purpose, seeing they escape the penalty of death which is imminent, he compares their dangers with those which were encountered by such men as Socrates for the sake of philosophy, and here he might have mentioned Pythagoras as well, and other philosophers, but our answer to this is that in the case of Socrates, the Athenians immediately afterwards repented, and no feeling of bitterness remained in their minds regarding him, as also happened in the history of Pythagoras. The followers of the latter, indeed, for a considerable time, established their schools in that part of Italy called Magna, Gratia, but in the case of the Christians, the Roman Senate, and the princes of the time, and the soldiery, and the people, and the relatives of those who had become converts to the faith made war upon their doctrine and would have prevented its progress overcoming it by a confederacy of so powerful a nature had it not by the help of god escaped the danger and risen above it so as finally to defeat the whole world in its conspiracy against it let us notice also how he thinks to cast discredit upon our system of morals, alleging that it is only common to us with other philosophers and no venerable or new branch of instruction, in reply to which we have to say that unless all men had naturally impressed upon their minds sound ideas of morality, the doctrine of the punishment of sinners would have been excluded by those who bring upon themselves the righteous judgments of God. It is not therefore a matter of surprise that the same God should have sown in the hearts of all men those truths which he taught by the prophets and the Saviour, in order that, at the divine judgment, every man may be without excuse, having the requirements of the law written upon his heart. A truth obscurely alluded to by the Bible, in what the Greeks regard as a myth, where it represents God as having, with his own finger, written down the commandments and given them to Moses, and which the wickedness of the worshippers of the calf made him break in pieces, as if the flood of wickedness, so to speak, had swept them away. But Moses having again hewn tables of stone, God wrote the commandments a second time and gave them to him, the prophetic word preparing the soul, as it were, after the first transgression, for the writing of God a second time. Treating of the regulations respecting idolatry as being peculiar to Christianity, Celsus establishes their correctness, saying that the Christians do not consider those to be gods that are made with hands, on the ground that it is not in conformity with right reason to suppose that images fashioned by the most worthless and depraved of workmen, and in many instances also provided by wicked men, can be regarded as gods. In what follows, however, wishing to show that this is a common opinion and one not first discovered by Christianity, he quotes a saying of Heraclitus to this effect, quote, that those who draw near to lifeless images as if they were gods act in a similar manner to those who would enter into conversation with houses, end quote. Respecting this, then, we have to say that ideas were implanted in the minds of men like the principles of morality, from which not only Heraclitus but any other Greek or barbarian might by reflection have deduced the same conclusion, for he states that the Persians also were of the same opinion, quoting Herodotus as his authority. We also can add to these Zeno of Citium, who, in his polity, says, quote, and there will be no need to build temples, for nothing ought to be regarded as sacred, 
or of much value, or holy, which is the work of builders and of mean men. End quote. It is evident, then, with respect to this opinion, as well as others, that there has been engraven upon the hearts of men by the finger of God a sense of duty that is required. After this, through the influence of some motive which is unknown to me, Celsus asserts that it is by the names of certain demons and by the use of incantations that the Christians appear to be possessed of miraculous power, hinting, I suppose, at the practices of those who expel evil spirits by incantations. And here he manifestly appears to malign the gospel, for it is not by incantations that Christians seem to prevail over evil spirits, but by the name of Jesus, accompanied by the announcement of the narratives which relate to him. For the repetition of these has frequently been the means of driving demons out of men, especially when those who repeated them did so in a sound and genuinely believing spirit. Such power, indeed, does the name of Jesus possess over evil spirits, that there have been instances where it was effectual, when it was pronounced even by bad men, which Jesus himself taught would be the case, when he said, Many shall say to me in that day, In thy name we have cast out devils, and done many wonderful works. Whether Celsus omitted this from intentional malignity, or from ignorance, I do not know and he next proceeds to bring a charge against the Saviour himself, alleging that it was by means of sorcery that he was able to accomplish the wonders which he performed, and that foreseeing that others would attain the same knowledge and do the same things, making a boast of doing them by help of the power of God, he excludes such from his kingdom. And his accusation is that if they are justly excluded, while he himself is guilty of the same practices, he is a wicked man, but if he is not guilty of wickedness in doing such things, neither are they who do the same as he. But even if it be impossible to show by what power Jesus wrought these miracles, it is clear that Christians employ no spells or incantations but the simple name of Jesus, and certain other words in which they repose faith according to the Holy Scriptures. Moreover, since he frequently calls the Christian doctrine a secret system of belief, we must confute him on this point also, since almost the entire world is better acquainted with what Christians preach than with the favorite opinions of philosophers. For who is ignorant of the statement that Jesus was born of a virgin, and that he was crucified, and that his resurrection is an article of faith among many, and that a general judgment is announced to come, in which the wicked are to be punished according to their deserts, and the righteous to be duly rewarded? And yet the mystery of the resurrection, not being understood, is made a subject of ridicule among unbelievers. In these circumstances, to speak of the Christian doctrine as a secret system is altogether absurd but that there should be certain doctrines not made known to the multitude which are revealed after the exoteric ones have been taught is not a peculiarity of christianity alone but also of the philosophic systems in which certain truths are exoteric and others esoteric some of the hearers of pythagoras were content with his ipsi dixit while others were taught in secret those doctrines which were not deemed fit to be communicated to profane and insufficiently prepared ears. Moreover, all the mysteries that are celebrated everywhere throughout Greece and barbarous counties, although held in secret, have no discredit thrown upon them, so that it is vain that he endeavors to calumniate the secret doctrines of Christianity, seeing he does not correctly understand its nature. 
It is with a certain eloquence, indeed, that he appears to advocate the cause of those who bear witness to the truth of Christianity by their death in the following words, quote, And I do not maintain that if a man who has adopted a system of good doctrine is to incur danger from men on that account, he should either apostatize or feign apostasy or openly deny his opinions, end quote. And he condemns those who, while holding the Christian views, either pretend that they do not or deny them, saying that, quote, He who holds a certain opinion ought not to feign recantation or publicly disown it. End quote. And here Celsus must be convicted of self contradiction, for from other treatises of his it is ascertained that he was an Epicurean, but here because he thought that he could assail Christianity with better effect by not professing the opinions of Epicurus he pretends that there is a something better in man than the earthly part of his nature which is akin to god and says that quote, they in whom this element viz the soul is in a healthy condition are ever seeking after their kindred nature meaning god and are ever desiring to hear something about him and to call it to remembrance end quote. observe now the insincerity of his character having said a little before that quote, the man who had embraced a system of good doctrine ought not, even if exposed to danger on that account from men, to disavow it, or pretend that he had done so, nor yet openly disown it, end quote. He now involves himself in all manner of contradictions, for he knew that if he acknowledged himself an Epicurean, he would not obtain any credit when accusing those who, in any degree, introduced the doctrine of providence, and who place a god over the world, and we have heard that there were two individuals of the name of Celsus, both of whom were Epicureans, the earlier of the two having lived in the time of Nero, but this one in that of Adrian, and later. He next proceeds to recommend that in adopting opinions we should follow reason and a rational guide, since he who assents to opinions without following this course is very liable to be deceived, and he compares inconsiderate believers to Metragirte and soothsayers and Milthrae, and Sabadeans, and to anything else that one may fall in with, and to the phantoms of Hecate, or any other demon or demons. For as amongst such persons are frequently to be found wicked men, who, taking advantage of the ignorance of those who are easily deceived, lead them away whither they will, so also, he says, is the case among Christians. And he asserts that certain persons who do not wish either to give or receive a reason for their belief keep repeating, quote, do not examine, but believe, end quote, and, quote, your faith will save you, end quote. And he alleges that such also say, quote, the wisdom of this life is bad, but the foolishness is a good thing, end quote, to which we have to answer that, if it were possible for all to leave the business of life and devote themselves to philosophy, no other method ought to be adopted by any one but this alone. For in the Christian system also it will be found that there is, not to speak at all arrogantly, at least as much of investigation into articles of belief and of explanation of dark sayings occurring in the prophetical writings and to the parables in the gospels and of countless other things which either were narrated or enacted with a symbolical signification as is the case with other systems but since the course alluded to is impossible partly on account of the necessities of life partly on account of the weakness of men 
as only a very few individuals devote themselves earnestly to study, what better method could be devised with the view of assisting the multitude than that which was delivered by Jesus to the heathen? And let us inquire, with respect to the great multitude of believers who have washed away the mire of wickedness in which they formerly wallowed, whether it were better for them to believe without a reason, and so to have become reformed and improved in their habits through the belief that men are chastised for sins and honored for good works, or not to have allowed themselves to be converted on the strength of mere faith, but to have waited until they could give themselves to a thorough examination of the necessary reasons. For it is manifest that, on such a plan, all men, with very few exceptions, would not obtain this amelioration of conduct, which they have obtained through a simple faith, but would continue to remain in the practice of a wicked life. Now, whatever other evidence can be furnished of the fact that it was not without divine intervention that the philanthropic scheme of Christianity was introduced among men, this also must be added. For a pious man will not believe that even a physician of the body who restores the sick to better health could take up his abode in any city or country without divine permission, since no good happens to men without the help of God. And if he who has cured the bodies of many or restored them to better health does not effect his cures without the help of God, how much more he who has healed the souls of many and has turned them to virtue and improved their nature and attached them to God who is over all things and taught them to refer every action to his good pleasure and to shun all that is displeasing to him, even to the least of their words or deeds or even of the thoughts of their hearts. In the next place, since our opponents keep repeating those statements about faith, we must say that, considering it as a useful thing for the multitude, we admit that we teach those men to believe without reasons who are unable to abandon all other employments and give themselves to an examination of arguments, and our opponents, although they do not acknowledge it, yet practically do the same. For who is there that on betaking himself to the study of philosophy and throwing himself into the ranks of some sect either by chance or because he is provided with a teacher of that school adopts such a course for any other reason except that he believes his particular sect to be superior to any other for not waiting to hear the arguments of all the other philosophers and of all the different sects and the reasons for condemning one system and for supporting another, he in this way elects to become a Stoic, or a Platonist, or a Peripatetic, or an Epicurean, or a follower of some other school, and is thus born, although they will not admit it, by a kind of irrational impulse to the practice, say, of Stoicism, to the disregard of the others, despising either Platonism as being marked by greater humility than the others, or peripatetism as more human, and as admitting, with more fairness than other systems, the blessings of human life. And some also, alarmed at first sight about the doctrine of providence, from seeing what happens in the world to the vicious and to the virtuous, have rashly concluded that there is no divine providence at all, and have adopted the views of Epicurus and Celsus. End of chapters 1-10 through 10 of Against Celsus by Origin. Read by David Ronald.